0: I'll need God's help and His Spirit to be at work in me, to be teaching His Word boldly, proclaiming it as His Word and not my Word. And you will need God's, uh, God's help as well to hear the Word that is taught as His Word and not man's Word. So let us pray, shall we? Our Father in Heaven, we thank You that You are God who speaks. You are God who has spoken. And you are a God who continues to speak to us through your word. Father, it is beyond human ability and, and schemes and craftiness and wisdom to understand your word. We need your spirit to be at work in our minds and in our hearts. So we ask for each and every one of us in this room, including myself, that your spirit be at work as we hear your word, that we truly hear. It is word of the living God, word of eternal life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Christian message, the gospel, is a wonderful news. It is good news. It is a kind of news that brings comfort and joy and relief and gladness to someone who hears it. It's this news that announces that God, the Son, Jesus Christ, came from heaven to earth. He lived a perfect, obedient life that all of us failed to live. And yet he died the death that we all deserve to die. And the news declares that sin is defeated, death is conquered, justified sinners can now live a new life with our Savior as our King. Man can finally know God intimately through his son. The gospel is good news, isn't it? And this good news has been proclaimed for more than 2,000 years now. Millions of sermons have been preached in churches, in schools, on TVs and radios and podcasts. Millions have shared it in homes, in offices, in hospitals, in jails. Millions of gospel tracts have been printed and flooded both cities and villages. According to the Guinness World Record, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time, with over five billion copies sold and distributed. The Christian message, the gospel, has been preached, has been shared, has been published, has been distributed, it has been read, it has been heard, billions by billions across the world. The point is simple many 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 have heard God's word they've heard the gospel and even today like any other Sundays all across Malaysia across Klang Valley across all the services in St Mary thousands are listening to God's word but here's the question how has the hearers responded How many have accepted Jesus and his gospel? Yes, billions have heard, but how many actually trusted? Well, the answer is, not many. Not many. Why? If it's such a good news, why is it so poorly received? If the message is truly God's own powerful and living word, why has billions heard and died, rejecting the message? Why are billions today, who have already heard it, still not trusting in Jesus? And why is it that many who have heard and received Christ walked away from Christ later on in life? These are very real questions. Real questions for us today, and real for Jesus' time. We have been studying the book of Luke, and you see, we have seen that ever since Jesus began, his ministry in Galilee, he has been busy proclaiming and teaching. In Capernaum, the people say of his teaching, what word is this? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirit and they come out. In Simon's house, Jesus spoke a word and rebuilt the fever. Simon's mother-in-law was healed of her fever. And Jesus said to the leper, be clean and the word the leprosy left him. The centurion we saw said to Jesus, Say the word and let my servant be healed. And he was healed. Jesus said to the young man, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man stood up and he began to speak. So Jesus' word is powerful. And his message is urgent and critical. It involves the coming of the kingdom. And his teaching has been far-reaching. Today's passage, this morning, in chapter 8, verse 1, we see that Jesus went through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom. And 8, verse 4 says that a great crowd, again, gathered around Jesus to listen to him. There are people from town after town that came to him. Now, if the gospel is such a wonderful news, if Jesus' word is truly powerful, and his message is critical, shouldn't we expect thousands upon thousands who hear it, accept it, and follow Him back then as well as today? Wouldn't that be a logical conclusion? Well, as the big crowd gathers around Jesus again in the passage today, Jesus tells them a parable. Take a look with me. Chapter 8, verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell on the path, and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it, some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it wreathed away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it, and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew, and yielded a hundredfold. Jesus painted a fairly simple picture for us here. Very easy to understand even if we are not farmers. A farmer went out to sow a seed. Some seeds produce good crops and others don't. Why? Well, it depends on where the seeds land. Some environments are more hostile for growth than others. But is Jesus simply giving us here a farming lesson? Well, in verse 9, the disciples didn't think so, and they were right. Verse 9, the disciple asked Jesus what the parable meant. What the story meant. The disciples knew that Jesus was speaking in parable. So what is a parable in the first place? Well, the word parable literally means putting two things side by side for the sake of comparison. Parables show you one reality, in this case, sowing and the growth of seed, to point you to another reality. A spiritual reality. Parables require an interpretation in order for us to know what the spiritual reality that it is actually pointing us to. It demands us to stop and think further about the story that is being told. And that's why Jesus, in verse 8, invites further probing. He says, those of you who have ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples pursued and asked Jesus what it meant. So, in verse 10, Jesus said this, To you, that is to the disciples, it has been given to you, given to know the secrets of the kingdom. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Jesus is saying that he speaks in parable to distinguish those who truly seek to learn the kingdom message that he brings from those who cared less. To those who seek, those who heed, those who have years to hear, like the disciples, to them he will interpret the parable and reveal to them the spiritual reality. They will discover something about the kingdom of God from Jesus. But to those who cared less about the kingdom, the parable actually judges them. Jesus compares the attitude with those in the days of of Isaiah. Let me read to you from Isaiah 9. And you can pick up the verses that Jesus is quoting from. Isaiah 9, reading from verse 9. God said to Isaiah, Go and tell these people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of these people dull. And the years heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn and be healed. Back then, Isaiah was delivering God's message to God's people. They heard, but they refused to repent. So God's judgment fell on them. God hardened their hardened hearts, God dulled their dull ears. God blind their blinded eyes. Basically, God gave them over to their desires. So Jesus is saying here, to those who cared less about the kingdom of God, the parables will just be nice stories to them. And that's it. They will only see the farmer, they will see the seeds, and that's all they will see. And that's God's judgment upon them. But to the disciples, Jesus now explains the parable. So let's take a look verse 3. Not verse 3, sorry. Verse 11, sorry. Now the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. The seed is the Word of God. It looks much, much more smaller than it did on my computer. I'm sorry about that. Basically, he's saying that the first sentence that he says is very important to understand is this. The seed is the will of God. The seeds that were that sown by the farmer, they symbolize the will of God. There's the seed is the message of the kingdom. That makes the sower the one who delivers God's message. And that must be Jesus. Jesus who has been teaching and proclaiming the good news concerning the kingdom of God. Let's read on verse 12. Reading from verse 12 to verse 15. And the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they heard the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience." Now that Jesus has revealed the meaning of the parable, we can understand what the parable is about. First of all, we notice that it concerns hearing. It concerns hearing. It concerns people who hear the word of God. All the four categories, you notice, all the four categories heard the word of God. The falling of the seeds portray the falling of the word onto someone's ear. But what differentiates one category from the other is how they respond upon hearing the will of God. So what's the parable about? Well, it is about the different kind of responses people have upon hearing the word of God. Yes, thousands upon thousands have come from towns to towns and heard Jesus' teaching. But not all will bear fruit. In fact, many won't. Many will hear but not understand. Many will see but not perceive. They will not see themselves in the parable. They will not see themselves as the various background that is being described. They will not identify Jesus as the sower sent by God to preach God's word to them. They will not see the need to listen carefully to Jesus. And so Jesus and his word will have no impact on them at all. It will have no value to them at all. So now let's think about it. As we look around any crowd today, as you walk to the office, or even a crowd here, we have a crowd here. How many types of people do you think there are in a crowd? How will you categorize them? Well, according to Jesus, there are just four types of people not the rich or the poor. Not lawyers or drivers, not Berkeley or Oxford or UPM, not even Anglo-Saxon or Chinese or Indians, not even song leaders or Bible readers or pastors. No, according to Jesus, just four types. Every one of us is grouped according to how we respond to Jesus and the message of the kingdom that he brings because that is all that matters. And these are the four different kinds of responses. Firstly, there are those who heard God's word, but they they had no attraction to it at all. They don't bother reflecting on the word. They come, they hear, and they reject, forgetting the message instantly. Some quietly ignore it, Some despise it, ridicule it, trampling it underfoot. That's what the passage says. And so the message of the kingdom did not even reach skin deep for them at all. As a result, they don't believe and they die not believing. And they will not be saved from their blindness, from their rebellion, and ultimately they will not be saved from God's wrath. Have you met someone like that? Or are you someone like that? Jesus' explanation here also reminds us that there is a spiritual dimension to such a negative response. The devil is mentioned here. Inasmuch as the person is responsible for his rejection that his heart is hardened, the devil is also involved. And Satan's goal is always to prevent belief. Satan throws in as much obstacle as he can to make sure that we don't believe. And this reminds us that, the gospel, that gospel proclamation is a spiritual battle. And this is why I've been taught as a young Christian that there are two Ps in ministry that must go hand in hand. The first P is proclamation. And the second P is prayer. 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 And on this note, perhaps this is worth checking, for every minute that you and I preach and teach and evangelize, how many minutes do we pray? It is a spiritual battle. And this spiritual dimension also reminds me to be thankful for my own conversion and the conversion of others. For it is the spiritual work of God that has opened our blinded eyes to see Christ as my Lord and Savior. Without which the devil would have done his work. Secondly, there are those who heard God's word, they look fine at the beginning, or in fact they rejoice at the beginning upon hearing and they believe for a little while. But eventually the plant withers in time of testing. When their faith is tested, they fall away, they stop believing. They depart, they abandon, they withdrew themselves from Jesus. And the reason given for that is they had no root, they had no moisture. Out of the four images, I find this one the easiest to visualize. And that's because Samantha, my daughter, recently did a science project. And it's a project on growing beans on cotton balls. So we actually had this parable in live demo at home. The one thing that we noticed was just how quickly the sprout grew. Strong and firm towards light. It's amazing. It was very exciting for a six year old and a great relief for me as a parent. Imagine if I planted a durian seed with her. She would be asking me every day Is it growing, daddy? Is it growing? When can we eat the fruit? When can we eat the fruit? But it is so fascinating that it grew that fast. But the euphoria, as you would have guessed, is short-lived. The sprout died just as quickly as it came. Have you met someone like that? There are few examples of such people in the New Testament for us. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, it says, They went out from us, and they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. In 1 Timothy, Paul says, I charge, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hemanius and Alexander. They are real people. Have you met someone like that? Or are you someone like that? Someone who departs from Christ when the, game, the going gets tough because they were not rooted in Christ in the first place. Compare them with part, what Paul wrote to the Colossians. Colossians 2.7 says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, in Christ. Establish in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Thirdly, there are those who heard God's word, but the word of God never did its work in the person's life. The word never did the work of transforming the person's heart to love God and to love his king. The soul seed never reached its goal of being planted in the first place. Its fruit never matured, the passage says. And what is the reason given for this? Well, it's because the plant gets choked by the thorns that it grew up with. The plant wakes up every day, seeing that the thorns are growing alongside it. And if the plants can talk, probably the plants will be greeting and smiling at the thorns every day, not knowing that one day these thorns will take its life. When you and I get choked when we are eating, we immediately know that we get choked and we ask for help. But this choking takes a much, much slower pace, a very, very long period of time. Bit by bit, stem by stem, leaf by leaf. The thorn slowly wraps itself around the plant and one day, choke it and kill it. So what choked it? The passage says the cares the riches, and the pleasures of life. Such a person, though he did hear the word, gets so caught up with his welfare and possessions and comfort that he loves them more than anything. And that leaves no room for God and his king at all. Such a person is too busy. There is always something important. There is something urgent that he needs to attend to. More important than to stop and listen to God and his Saviour King, who laid down his life, that he may be forgiven. 2 Timothy Timothy 4, Paul mentioned Demas. Demas is one who is in love with the present world and deserted Paul. And the New Testament warns us against such danger as well of the thorns. 1 Timothy 6 verse 9 says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 1 John 2 says, Do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Again, have you met someone like this? Or are you someone like this? Now, we have come to our fourth and our last response. Given how the first three seeds have performed, you wonder if any seed will bear fruit at all. In all the proclamation, I suppose the disciples must have wondered if the message of the kingdom will ever win over and bring anyone into the kingdom at all. Because when they look around, all they see is trampled seeds and birds and rocks and thorns and withered plants. Will any hearer ever respond positively to Jesus' teaching at all? Is the word really powerful and effective? I would have wondered if I were them. Well, the fourth soil depicts for us those who hear God's word and actually bear fruit. In contrast to the other seeds, this last seed achieves its goal of being a fruit of what a seed is supposed to be. It depicts God's word bearing fruit in the life of its hearer, and when that happens, it yields a hundredfold. So what kind of person is this? How does he look like? Well, two things have been said of this person. Firstly, he is one who holds fast to Christ and his word in an honest and good heart. To hold fast means to embrace, to cling, to attach oneself tightly to, to never let go. I once learned how to drive a boat. And to learn to drive a boat, you need to drive in the morning as well as at night. And driving a boat at night is very different from driving a car at night. It's much scarier, simply because there are no street lights in the sea. And it's all dark. And on a cloudy night without the moon and the stars, when it's all pitch black, you have to rely on just one distant light that comes from a boil. And that's all you have. You must rely on that state to stay on course and not to run aground. You cannot afford to take your eyes off that tiny light at all. For you completely rely on that light to navigate yourself safely home it is literally your lifeline. You let it go, you'll be lost. I can't say to myself, let's close my eyes and trust the force or let's close my eyes and forget about the boy and follow the will. The right response to Jesus and his word is this, to fix your eyes on him and him alone and to cling onto his words and to never let go especially at the times of testing. When the going gets tough, when we are flooded with cares and the worries of this world, when tempted by riches and pleasures of life, hold fast to the word that you heard from him. Secondly, he's one who bears fruit with patience, he says. That is, he's one who endures under the pressure of living faithfully. Despite despite what life may bring, he clings on God's word. He perseveres in the word. He hopes in the word. He trusts trusts in the word rather than in the competing voices that he hears around him. Basically, he's opposite to those who in time of testing fall away. In times of testing, he holds fast to the word of God. So again, have we met someone like that? Or are you someone like that who hold fast to the word of God? Now, after explaining the, uh, the parable, Jesus continued. Take a look at verse 16 of what he says. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under the bed, but puts it on the stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be manifest, will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known or come to light. Take care then, how you hear, for to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. What is Jesus saying here? Well, Jesus is challenging his hearers to respond rightly. To his word when, when they hear them. Take care how you hear, he said. Take care how you hear. The purpose of lighting a lamp is for people to see. You don't light a lamp and then you hide it. The light here represents Jesus' teaching. Jesus came into the world for a reason to reveal God and his will. God can be known just like the lights can be seen. So if you care to hear, not just with your ear, but with your heart, God will show you even more. He is here to reveal himself. The issue is not whether God reveals himself, but it is whether you care to hear about God from Jesus. If you don't, you won't know God. You will be hardened even more. And what you have will be taken away from you. And another thing about light is that it doesn't just reveal, it exposes. It exposes our hearts. It exposes how we respond to God and his word. So Jesus is warning his hearer, saying, It matters how you hear. For by, by the way that you hear, you will be judged. Your salvation hinges on how you hear and how you respond to Jesus. Everyone hears. But how do you hear and how do you respond? By that you'll be judged. So take care how you hear. And if that isn't clear enough, Jesus drives home the point by the last section that we have in the next incident. Verse 19, he said, Verse 19, this happens. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you. And Jesus answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions, have come and continue to come to hear God's word. But not all will bear fruit. In fact, many moan. Many will hear but not understand. Many will see but not perceive. It is those who hear the word of God, reflect on it, take it to heart, cling onto it, and do it. Who are part of God's redeemed community. God's word is living and active. It is effective and it is powerful. It goes out from Him and it doesn't return to Him without accomplishing what he sets out to accomplish that we've seen in the Old Testament passage. It goes out from God. It either saves or it judges. Which one is it doing for you? Is it judging you or is it saving you? Jesus' message in this part of the Bible is very clear. He's saying, if you and I want to be part of the great crop of the end time, Listen to the sower and hear what he's teaching. Be the good soil, not the bad. Take care how you hear. Here in SMAC, we have a great emphasis, don't we, on being a Bible based church, a word based community. And part of how that looks like and how that is manifested is we guard the pulpit. We make sure that we preach God's word clearly and faithfully. We work hard. On the text. But notice what this part of the Scripture is exhorting us. It is correcting, rebuking us, not about preaching, but about hearing. It is about how you hear. Being a Bible-based, word-based church is not just about preaching the word right. It is about hearing the word right. And that. It's myself included. I preach the word. Do I hear the word? Does it sink in and change me? Today's passage tells us that a word community must be a community that is changed by God's word, who hears his words properly. I have a couple of books that I thought would be helpful about this. The first one, as some of you who have heard before, my favorite author, Susan Hunt, a writer of Children's Bible. Let me read to you of, what, of one possibility of how being a word community can look like. What does it mean? Well, he, she writes this to the children who are reading the book. Dear little friends, the Bible is God's word. It is his love letter to his people. In the Bible, God tells us what he wants us to know and what he wants us to do. Psalm 119 says, Your word... I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. To hide God's word in your hearts means to memorize it. When we hide God's word in our hearts, we have a priceless treasure that no one can ever take away from us. We have a treasure that will help us to know, to love, and to obey the holy and majestic God of heaven and earth. God gives us another gift. He gives us the Holy Spirit to help us understand and obey his Word. As you memorize Bible verses, always remember to ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand and obey the verses you hide in your heart. I pray that this book will help you to hide God's Word in your heart. And I pray that His Spirit will give you grace to obey God's Word. For God's glory, Miss Susan. He inverted comma miss. She's no longer miss. Right? But her point is clear, isn't it? That we don't just hear the Word that is being taught from the pulpit, or on Tuesday night training, we actually go home and hide God's word. When times of trouble come, when you are tempted to be angry, when you are sinning again, do you have the emanation to pull out and allow God's word to inform and change you in that situation? Or is it left in church? Very quickly, um, three ways to approach it. One is, how does God's word change ourselves in the first place? Are we ourselves hearers of God's word? For the love of God has been a great book for many years now. It's written by Dawn Carson. And it's written to help us to hide God's word into our hearts. That in times, every day of our life, in morning or at night, this word will be, will be there to shape us. As he says, at their best, Christians have saturated themselves in the Bible. And this helps you to saturate that. It is a daily devotion that helps you do that. And there are different ways in which you can do daily devotions. And we're in a community, we can help one another in that. And I do know that uh, Shanti and the gang is organizing something that will help the congregation to, understand, to have a few gadgets on hand on the iPhone and stuff that you can do daily devotions. Okay? So moving on from yourself to in the church. The other book is by, if you can read his name, Tabiti. Anya Wabi Lee. You can buy the book and you can tell me how to pronounce his name. A, there's a section here on how can church members cultivate the habit of listening well. I just read to you the titles. You can meditate on the sermon passage during your quiet time. Invest in a good set of commentaries. Talk and pray with friends about the sermon after church. Listen and act on the sermon throughout the week. Develop the habit of addressing any question about the text. There is help one another to get excited about the text, any questions that you have about it. And lastly, cultivate humility. So there is a book called What is a Healthy Church Member? Okay? And lastly, I'll close with this. It's a book that tries to convince you as well as help you to value reading the Bible with someone else. It is not necessarily a more mature Christian reading with a less mature Christian it's just cultivating the habit that we love the word, let's get together over coffee and read the word together and allow that word to change us and shape us hold fast to the word Here's just a lot of stories in there I'll just read one to you, Robert's story when I first met with someone to read the Bible one to one in 1994 I found it absolutely brilliant meeting one to one made me work hard at understanding God's word which was sometimes tough going, but really rewarding. What's more, studying the Bible with someone else meant that we got to know each other well and could talk and pray openly and honestly about what God is saying to us. Also, I saw the firsthand, from first hand from my friend what it looks like to put the Bible into practice, which was a real help to me in living as a Christian. Now, eight years on, we are still good friends and both love meeting up with others, to study God's word, allowing it to change us, and to pray together. So this is a practical book that will encourage you, uh, the value of meeting up with someone to read the Bible together and allowing God's word to change us. Okay? So I'll leave these books up in the front here. I'll actually leave it on the rack. But uh, I have put a sticker on them that these books belong to Kenneth and Vivian. And if you happen to have them, please, in your kindness, uh, return it. Okay, so uh, I'm happy to leave it behind uh, for a while and have a take a look if you're interested. But the point is uh, the word matters and hearing the words matter. And we are a community of people, word people. So let's leave out what it means to be a word people. Okay, we need God's help and His Spirit, which is the word. Let me pray for myself and all of us. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are God who has spoken. And Father, your word is, is life to us. We, we don't live on bread alone, but we live on the very word. And Father, we thank you for the gift of the Spirit that uh, when we do struggle with understanding your word, when we struggle with obeying your words, when we, when we sin, your, your spirit is there to help us, to true your word, to, to shape us and to change us. And Father, we thank you for the gift of the church that you put us in a community of God's people that will encourage and to spur us on towards love and good deeds. Help us to be a word community, a community that is thoroughly shaped by your word, not just on Sundays or on Tuesdays, but in every day of our life, that we are so saturated by your word that we we are word people. We are those who who have pledged our allegiance to Jesus, the living word, as our Savior and our Lord, and our lives uh, are thoroughly, and even though slowly, but steadily uh, changed and shaped by his word. And we ask that when that happens, um, we will be made into the image of your Son, and you be given glory. For it is your work by your Spirit that is at work in your church to bring glory to yourself. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.